beautiful. Welcome to Beauty Beyond Betrayal. Have you discovered your husband's been having an affair? Do you just want the pain to stop and be able to take a deep breath again? Do you find yourself up late at night Googling how to save your marriage, heal from an affair? Do you wake up with the hope that this nightmare would end only to feel crushed and humiliated because your husband acts like the affair was really your fault and now you're left obsessing with where he is and if he's seeing her again? Hey, I'm Lisa. I too was devastated when I discovered my husband was having an affair. I too felt the pain would never end and wished he would just stop the affair and we could restore our marriage. I wanted the weight of the trauma to be lifted so I could breathe again and be able to have someone, anyone help me climb out of the dark miry pit of despair so I could begin to heal and be confident in me again. But I kept telling myself, he won't stop seeing her, must have been my fault and this pain, it'll never go away until I found hope and healing in Christ, along with simple techniques that helped me to learn how to recover from the betrayal. In this podcast, you'll discover what betrayal trauma really is, learn simple techniques to heal and recover, and get biblical guidance to help you make the right choices as you heal from the affair so you can be free from the heartbreak and the pain and rise in confidence once again to be the woman God created you to be. So beautiful, grab your favorite latte or a glass of wine, snuggle up on the couch and focus on yourself for a few minutes. Let's dive into what it really means to rise up from the ashes of betrayal and loss into a life that you really desire. Well, hello, beautiful. Welcome back to another episode of Beauty Beyond Betrayal. Today is just a really special day in my heart because today I have a couple that you are going to hear from. You're going to hear their story today. And it's been a journey with them. It has been such an honor and a privilege to walk alongside and guide along the way. First, Kelly with her journey. And then later on, bringing both of them into the mix, Josh and Kelly together, and having this amazing redemption story come out of betrayal. And we're going to walk down this memory lane with them, so to speak, of you know how they met and how all of this transpired and where they are today. And I'm really hoping that it brings exactly what you need, that hope and just that little anchor that you've been reaching for so that you know that God is in your corner as well. So Kelly and Josh, my goodness, I am so excited to have you on Beauty Beyond Betrayal. We've talked about this and now we're here. You're actually on the podcast. How does that feel? A little scary. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't be scared. This is just like I said, we're going to have a great conversation today where you really get to share an awesome story of what God has done in and through both of you. So just with with the audience, I just want you to kind of share first um, a little bit about how the two of you met. Like, you know, how old were you? How did you meet? Let's get to know Kelly and Josh. 
come, buddy. You want to kick well, it off? Yeah. So I guess we originally met at, in church. He grew up in church. I asked to be taken to church with my parents every weekend saying, oh, some other weekend, not this weekend. Well, eventually my parents took us to this little Bible church that my dad went to, I think after he got it out of the Navy in his 20s. And how old were you? 13? I was a, a little nerdy 13 year old. Yeah. <laughs> and I was 15 and a half. So I'm the older and wiser woman. Oh, <laughs> nice. Nice. I, you know, I didn't realize that you actually met so young. Like y'all have been together really your entire life. Right. Yeah. But well, we didn't start actually dating until I was, we didn't actually start dating until I was 20 and she was 23. Okay. Okay. I liked him. I liked him back then, but I got teased by some of the other <laughs> girls in the youth group. He set up this picnic lunch. His parents gave him permission. We could go on this picnic lunch when you were like, what? I was 14. 14 and 16. And they were teasing me. Oh, you're going to have to drive and pick him up. <laughs> and I chickened out. So I called him and told him I wasn't feeling good. Yeah, and I had I had everything prepared. <laughs> the lunch was packed. It was, you know, on the... On, <laughs> And then the cooler and everything ready to go. And I get this ring right before. Yeah, I'm not feeling good. I'm going to have to cancel. <laughs> oh, oh. So he ate the lunch with his mom. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So then, yeah, I went through a rebellious stage. Did a lot of stupid stuff, unfortunately. And we're learning about soul ties here more recently. And I wish I would have known about stuff like that back then. <laughs> yes, of course. Made a big impact, I would like to think. Um, but then but, she came back to church uh, when she was about 22. Uh, and then we kind of reconnected uh, at Bible studies and everything and through mutual friends and uh, just kind of blossomed from there. And Let's just say the story I get from his mom, and if he'll tell you, is he pretty much just liked me the, almost the whole time, even though... I was like doing my own thing there for a while. I did. I did. I had, I even had thoughts like <laughs> later on when I was probably like uh, 16 or 17 after I got my license of driving over to her house in the middle of the night and like throwing little pebbles on the windows and stuff. All these real romantic, you know, things in my mind, you know, like and it was definitely raining at the time in my mind when I was throwing the pebbles, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> wow. So, but it never really happened, you know, so it, it didn't happen until, you know, we were in our 20s. So, yeah. So how long did you date before you got married? Uh, Dated a year, engaged. Two years, engaged really. Engaged for a year. So, yeah, two years. Yeah. And when you, when you decided that you were going to get married, you know, what were the expectations that were in the back of your mind about what marriage is going to be like for y'all? Well, I thought I was marrying my white knight, or, or what do you call it? A knight on a white, not white knight, a knight on a white horse. Right, yeah. Uh, that we do everything together, and we, you know, we have the same beliefs and values, and that we'd be best friends, and we tell each other everything, and it was going to be sunshine and roses. Yeah. Very well, thinking. Yeah, my expectations was, uh, you know, Kelly would always have nothing but nice things to say about me, <laughs> praise me every day. Give me lots of hugs and kisses, and you know we would just make love all the time. <laughs> so, what was reality? 
What was you got into marriage? You know, we know that there's a honeymoon period. We understand there's this honeymoon period, right? But once the honeymoon period started to wax and wane, what was the reality of marriage? That it was a hard work and really you get into the routine of a lot of just the same stuff every day. Like you go to work, you got stuff around the house. Once we had our first child. I'd say that was the really big thing. Once we had our first child, the marriage dynamic completely shifted. uh, And it was just more child focused. Yeah, more child focused. And we kind of, you know, I can speak on my behalf. You know, I especially let the relationship kind of slip because of just focusing on children and responsibilities and just, you know, the busyness of life, really. And kind of going into marriage uh you paint these fantastical pictures of what it's going to be like but then you're actually faced with you know confrontations and disagreements and fights and what ultimately happened is you know I just would you revert back to how you're raised and you avoid the conflict or uh stonewall or whatever else and it just compounds the issues and it's just it was just not anything like I had expected, yeah. you know? I would always be the one that's like, let's read this marriage book. Let's do this. Let's listen to this. And I, he, he told me at one point, I don't need self-help books. And I'm like, okay. Well, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. So I was always trying to like pull him in and like, let's work on this. But he, as we're learning now, really had a hard time dealing with those big emotions. He didn't know how. Right. Just sit with those and handle them. And Yeah, because growing up, whenever there was any type of disagreement or fight, it was never really talked about. It was always just, you know, everybody's just quiet about it. You never really mention it again. And it kind of just disappeared without, you know, ever really processing your emotions, those difficult emotions. Yeah. Um, so you just kind of bury things, you know, and that's what I had grown accustomed to doing over the years is just bury my and repress my feelings and my emotions. So, and it's still like that with your family. Yeah. My yeah. family's still like that, but I'm climbing out of that, you know, as, as we, you know, recover together. So, yeah, which is a beautiful, beautiful sight to see. It really, really is. And so with, with you know, the normalcies of life, you know, it, it happens to every couple. Um, And we have a tendency to look at those things and then we kind of start looking inward within ourselves, right? We start thinking about how our own needs get to be met and how, you know, we are lacking in certain areas and we're dealing with all of these, you know, emotions of our own and kids and bills and all of this stuff. And it's the reality of life, right? Mm-hmm. And then there comes a point where we have to face some hard things. And I know some couples don't face what you faced, but, you know, we know on, on this podcast, we deal with infidelity. We deal with betrayal. And there came a point in your marriage where infidelity came in. And, and I would like to kind of talk about that for a few minutes. I'd like to talk about, you know, how far into your marriage, how many years were you together when infidelity hit? And, you know, what 
was it was it discovered right then? Was it discovered later on? Let's just kind of start at the place of how many years were you together and when did infidelity hit your relationship? Well, the very first thing I discovered probably within six months of marriage, right? Right. Would be uh, I caught stuff on our computer with pornography. Yep. So that like blindsided me because... You know, I just thought that wasn't a thing with him. We never talked about it. Um, right. And of course, that was another thing that was, you know, going into marriage. I thought that problem, that addiction uh, with the pornography would go away. You know, once I was you know, getting, getting my ego stroked by Kelly and, you know, getting all these, aff you know, affirmations and, you know, praises and, and, having, sex. and having sex all the time. Like, <laughs> exactly. My yeah. desire to view that would just evaporate and that didn't happen yeah so and that when i first caught it i'm like what in the world is this and he's like well i know i shouldn't look at it I i'm not gonna look at it anymore i was naive i didn't know it could be an addiction i just thought i had some exposure to it uh, prior to marriage from a bad relationship i was in and uh i don't know but i just thought it was just something that's most guys looked at occasionally and then, you know, he told me he'd stop. So I believed him. Um, but fast forward, you know, I would catch it every now and then. It was always the same story. Well, I haven't looked at that since whatever the date was on the computer. Um, but as far as the, like, actually physically stepping outside of the marriage was 2012. So we were married. Eight, eight years. Eight years. Right. Yeah. And we had, at the time, an eight-month-old, our second child. Or we had a five-year-old and an eight-month-old. Yeah. Right. So very clingy baby uh in in the beginning very hard to nurse i used to suffer and i say used to that's a whole other testimony and story in itself i used to suffer with crohn's disease and after each birth of our children like within a month or so i would down spiral like the hormones and whatever was going on with my body it would just cause it to to flare back up really bad so like my weight was dropping if yeah. i was over 100 pounds like you know between 100 and 110 pounds, it was, it was a good thing. So like I'm dropping weight, you know, I'm trying to produce, you know, enough energy with my body to nurse a baby. I'm putting a lot of extra care into that. He's feeling neglected. He's feeling, I, I remember at the time saying, so you're telling me you're jealous of your son and that I have to, you know, care for him. Um, so at the time, what what was going on in your world? Well, in my world, it was just, uh, I guess, we had our first child, you know, in 2006. Um, and she was a pretty easy kid, pretty easy baby. Um, so really, things didn't change a whole lot. But with the birth of our son in 2011, um, it kind of changed everything. He was very, like Kelly said, very clingy, very needy. Um, most of Kelly's time was spent with him. Um, so that's just a testament right there of how selfish I had become, you know, like just putting my needs uh, before hers. And she was feeling bad to boot, you know, with the Crohn's disease and, and her weight dropping and just lack of energy and all of that. Um, but I guess what had happened over the years, I guess with the pornography influences, I just become kind of desensitized and you know I put my you know when you're viewing that all the time what 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 happens is you just 
you just become more and more selfish, you know, and you, you just put yourself first. And uh, it's just that easy coping mechanism and you stop relying less and less on your relationship with your wife. And uh, you stop pursuing. I stopped pursuing and I felt abandoned because of the, the infant, or our son. And there was a pretty long, dry spell for uh, physical intimacy. Um, and then so when, I kind of like started holding that as a grudge and, you know, yeah. basically counting the days, you know, like, yeah. oh, it's been this long. It's been this long. You know, another month has gone by, you know, so. Um, and when we when we would be physically intimate back then, like I said, I was really sick. So with the inflammation in my body, it was actually painful. Like it got to the point where even with the baby, I couldn't stand to rest him on my abdomen because I was just so inflamed with, you know. It's yeah. an inflammatory bowel disease. So, you know, to be intimate in the other areas, you know, mm -hmm. I have to go into graphic detail, but it was not comfortable. Right. Right. Yeah. It, so that, that affected it a lot. Yeah. 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 And I was kind of raised with a very kind of hard line approach when it comes to children. Um, you know, like, oh, let them cry, you know, let them be independent. Uh, just lay them down. They'll stop eventually, you know. And so there was a little bit of a, kind of a disagreement there as far as the child rearing approach um, right but the thing with our second born is he wouldn't stop <laughs> yeah, that's the thing you would <laughs> yeah, put him down and he would never problem, stop right? yeah so josh you said something you know very um catching when you said uh with the ongoing pornography use for those years you turn so inward and become very very uh self-absorbed and very selfish, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, you, you had this in the background and it was an addiction. And a lot of people, and you said it earlier, a lot of people think, well, I can, I can kick it myself. Or when, when this happens, I'll be able to walk away. That's not the case. No. And, and, and I really want people to hear that it's a battle in two regards, you're battling your flesh, you have the chemical component within the brain, right, you're battling your flesh, but you're also battling in the spirit, you know, we, we need to touch on both. And so here you are, you're fighting in the flesh, and you're fighting the spiritual realm. And you're losing at this point. Right. So then enters in infidelity to where now pornography is infidelity as well but i'm right. talking about an actual physical affair so let's let's talk about that let's touch on that for a minute yeah so let's see what happened is i had got a different job around i mean same same company but different position and that was early 2000 12. Um, so I started there January of 12. And what happened is, well, let me preface this by saying, I'm just a very congenial person. And I talk to a lot of people. And I was never really, uh, I would talk to anybody, you know, males and females. So, um, and I got my, basically, um, so I was in kind of a cubicle setting, 
at my, my new position. And this person, this female, that my coworker, I didn't work directly with her. She was a different department, but she was probably, I don't know, maybe five, six desks away or something. So it wasn't like she was right next to me, but it didn't happen at first. But by around March of 2012, she had overheard me talking to another person about uh, where we live, where our home home was, and she lived close by. So that was kind of an inroad for her to start. Extremely close by. Extremely close by, like literally right across the street. Mm, gotcha. So that was, she interjected into the conversation and got talking to me. And I was, you know, of course, very talkative. That's just how I am. Um, but I just, I didn't see it at the time, but she was becoming just more and more pursuant. And of course, my ego and you know, the lack of attention at home and just feeling like, you know, slighted, not just sexually, but I guess other ways. Um, it just felt good. You know, as a man, it felt really good to be admired and, and kind of, you know, looked at like you're like, you're, you know, almost like, like you're the only one in the room, you know, so you had that kind of approach with me and, uh, there was just little things here and there where I would just compromise little by little. She would say, Hey, can you come? Cause like I said, she was literally right across the street. So, um, uh, would you mind coming over for me and weed eating? You know? So I went and did that just to try to, I mean, at that point, really against my wishes, against I Kelly's actually, wishes. I, actually yeah. about that. I met this person. She started walking her dogs into our yard. Mm -hmm. So I was introduced, I was introduced to her as my coworker. I didn't think anything of it. She came by a few more times and then it was getting annoying. Like, what is she doing here? And why is my husband out there talking to her and our six-year-old at the time? Like, this is annoying. And I have the baby on my hip and he's screaming and I'm trying to cook dinner type stuff. So, uh, but yeah, he would say, yeah, she needs help weeding or something. I'm like, well, you need to tell her that she needs to get somebody else. Like we have our own stuff going on here. Mm -hmm. But being the people pleaser, and like he said, the right. attention he was getting. Yeah, that's the Sorry. other thing, too. It's just people pleasing. I never really, and I still struggle that to this day. You know, it's like you just don't want to disappoint anybody, you know? Um, but that partially comes out of my, you know, need to, to have that affirmation. But I did the weed eating, and then she said, Oh, my car's in the shop. Can you give me a ride to work? You know, so that was like later on. Uh, that year so here we are march april it's kind of like developing the yep. emotional connections developing um you guys went somewhere and you told me you ended up holding hands yeah so that was like right the first time there was some physical touch right involved yeah, yeah little i guess you know little by little um the the barrier started being broken down you know the lines were crossed. And so by uh, June, June of 2012. Yeah. And I don't know any of this is going on. June of 2012 is, is when the actual physical line was crossed, you know, um, and, and that, it lasted until August, around August of 2012. Um, so I kind of, they speak of limerence and being kind of in a trance and all of that kind of stuff. 
uh, when people are in the midst of an affair. And it's very true. I told Kelly the other day, I said, um, the physical element of the relationship wasn't that great. You know, um, it really, what I was addicted to is that feeling like, like when Kelly and I started dating or like any new relationship, yep. um, that feeling of, oh, I'm in love, I'm in love. And I don't care who knows, you know, that, that kind of right. like that feeling of elation and, and glee. That's, that's kind of what mm-hmm. I guess had hooked me and, and the, and the admiration and attention. But, um, so by August, I broke it off. And that is something painful, though, that he's told me that he did tell her what at least three times that he can recollect that he loved her. Yeah. Which I don't understand. Like, I still can't. That is hard. That is a hard thing for for those who have been betrayed. It's a hard thing to wrap your head around. Uh But I like Josh, I like what you said about being elated by it. And the reason why I like that you you went there is because when you are, I call it the infidelity bubble. I know y'all have heard me say that quite often. When you are tied up in that infidelity bubble, it is like cocaine on the brain. There's actually research neurobiology studies that have been done with MRIs that have shown it it hits the same portion of the brain and gives the same dopamine high as cocaine does. And so once that starts hitting that portion of the brain, just like with pornography, it becomes something that I, I need to feel that way again. I desire to feel that way again. And, and stroking the ego, so to speak, gives us that same kind of high feeling, right? So it's feeding into that frenzy when you're inside that affair bubble. Mm-hmm. It it does grow and grow and grow, right? And there's this feeling of being in love. But what I really want you and all the listeners to hear is that at the end of the day, love is a choice. According to scripture, Love is a choice. And then there are feelings that follow that choice. There's a difference between what we think is love that is actually lust, which bears that's what it is, right? It's it is in they think it's love because you're in that infidelity bubble. My husband and I have even talked about this, but it's actually a full blown lust affair that feels this great love because, and I really attribute a lot of this to Hollywood and how they've kind of set it up and evils behind all of that. Anyway, they (laughs) in such a way, but at the end of the day, love is a choice that we make to be with someone through thick, thin, through everything. And then those feelings of dedication and honor and loyalty and everything that goes with it follow because I'm sure now that there's been reconciliation now that you are moving forward through and recovery there is this love that you feel for one another that is very different from what you were going through when you were in the infidelity bubble and now you can tell the difference right there's a there's a wake-up call right so when, when, th- when this happened, 
my question for you is before we get into the next question, I want to ask is, you know, because I know there are a lot of women and men who have been betrayed, who listen to the broadcast, who say, you know, when you're in the midst of this affair, when you're in the midst of pornography, when you're in the midst of doing these things, are you even thinking about the ramifications on your family at that point? Are you thinking about, you know, your wife and things of that nature? Um, And in all honesty, what was that like for you when you were in that? Mm -hmm. Was there that thought of, oh, my gosh, or did it once the bubble burst? Is that when you started thinking about the ramifications? Yeah, Kelly and I, we were just talking about this the other day, too. Um, And I told her, I said, really, I did think about that. But when I was with the affair person, I didn't think about that. It's, it was when I would come home yeah. and see my family around me and it, it, it would affect me then. Yes. Um, but not like, you know, when I was with the other person. No. You said after the first time it happened, you felt like, what have I done? Yeah. After the very first initial crossing of the line in June of 12. I came home and I don't really even know how to describe what I was feeling. It was just, I told Kelly, I was like, I was very almost just numb feeling, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, what have I done? I don't know how this is ever going to, I'm ever going to get out of this. Like, or, or at that, I think at that very point, June of 12, when, when I crossed that line and I came home and I was in a trance and I felt numb. At that very moment, I said to myself internally, I can't ever tell Kelly. Yeah. You know? Which at some point, and I can't remember exactly, I told him earlier in marriage, like cheating is a deal breaker. Yeah. Over the years, she would say that off yeah. and on. That That's, a, you know, you'd hear something about some friends or somebody in Hollywood or in the news or whatever, like cheating or having an affair. And she would say... Yeah, that would ever happen to, you know, to us. That's a deal breaker. So and I, your response earlier on, I remember one of the first times I remember saying right. it was, well, you know, I could never do that to you. I would not be able to live with myself. And I wish I could remember. Yeah. He, he yeah. you think I said that afterwards, but I think I said actually before that yeah. an affair happened. Yeah. So, you know, and I never thought that he would be capable of an affair. Like I had him on this pedestal. I, you know, we both have the same beliefs. He knew my background. My biological father was a serial cheater on my mother. Um, her father was a, had a 20 year long mistress and even her grandmother was cheated on. So it was like, you know, that's my background. Generational for sure. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. No. And I think, I think Kelly, you bring a good point in many, many wives, me included. I believe that we do put our husbands on a pedestal and we, we actually position them in a place that they can't sustain. Right. Right. They're, they're human. And we have a tendency to put them in positions they should never be in, right? Because the, we're actually elevating them to a place where only Christ should be elevated. Right. And so there, it is, 
you know, I agree with you when you said, you know, I, I trusted him completely. I never in a million years would have thought that would have happened to me. I felt the same way. And I, I believe for the partner who is betrayed, that's one of the reasons why it is so devastating because mm-hmm. you place them at such a high level when that trust has been broken. It's just indescribable, right? Indescribable. Right. Yes. <laughs> so Josh, when you, when you said, I can't ever let her find out, that leads me into how long was it before this actually was discovered and how was it discovered? It was 10, 10 years and five months after yeah and the way best way to describe how it was discovered well i have to kind of backtrack a little bit and say it goes back to work yeah it goes back it goes back to work um but i will say during those 10 years and five months i had become just a shell of my former self and every day Little by little, I just died a little bit more and just felt like even further trapped in the, my own prison that I had made. And I was even telling Kelly. Okay. I was even telling Kelly, like, last year, back in 2022, uh, I, had, I started having these frequent thoughts, you know, because it just keeping the secret. And feeling separated, you know, it's like forgiveness goes both ways. You know, the cross is in two directions. So it goes up to God and then against those who you have offended. So I just felt that distance from God, distance from Kelly. And I would wake up and various times throughout the day or first thing upon rising in the morning, I would say, I'm headed to hell. Like, Mm. I'm going, if I don't do something like and I started to even have that fear that creep creeps in, you know, like when you ha- don't have the certainty of, of where you're going to go when you die. Like, you know, the, the fear had started to creep in like, oh, if today, if I die today, I'm going to hell, you know, like because and I just so I just felt trapped really is the best way to describe it. But like Kelly said, it all goes back to work because there was a female. And well, let me let me jump go ahead, go ahead. So in this 10, 10 years and five months, you're right. 10 years. I'm still like, I recognize like something's off in our marriage, like something that it could be way better than it is. And I'm still, you know, let's read this book and, and right. let's do this. And I want to do a Bible study together. And we never really did that. We would never pray together. It was like a mealtime prayer. And even at the beginning of our marriage, right? you know, I married the Bible college student. And as soon <laughs> as we were married, it was like a light switch flipped. And it was just like, this is different. Like he doesn't want to get up and go to church. He doesn't. Anyway. Um, but that's because my identity and what I believed was rooted in, you know, my upbringing and it wasn't really my own. So mm-hmm. um, it wasn't personal at all. Um, but yeah, let's. So, yeah. So I'm always, I'm always trying to pursue, like, let's right. work on our marriage. And he would come back like he just didn't want to do anything or it might get better for like a week or two. Mm-hmm. And I would get hopeful. And then the cycle would start again. And I started feeling bitterness and p- resentment and putting up walls. Yeah. And I remember 
having a conversation with my mom saying, I don't even know who I'm married to anymore. I feel like my husband has been abducted. Mm-hmm. Like, so I don't know. I don't know this person. It was really kind of a culmination leading up to this past November 22. Black Friday. It was actually, yeah, it was Black Friday, day after Thanksgiving. So it was a culmination of a lot of different things. And I say that because I'm the Holy Spirit had a hand in outing me, you know? Um, because basically, you know, if you don't do something, you know, your your secrets are gonna come out eventually. And Absolutely. and it did. And they're like well. we had be- she had become so discontent in the marriage, and I was too, that she was even talking of separation, you know. Well, you didn't you didn't know that. I it didn't was know that thoughts I was starting to entertain. Like this is this is not a quality of life. Like right. if this is if this is all there is to our marriage, then at this point, like I don't want to leave him, but I feel like I don't know what else to do. Like I can't continue this every day. And he was just, you know, he would be very angry. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I can be very hostile and confrontational. Mm-hmm. And he's told me that reminds him of his father at times. <laughs> but you know, I'm just I'm I'm direct. I I can come out very blunt. Um, yeah. So okay. and then you know he would just kind of shut down and stop responding and we'd have these same arguments over and over again but um, a couple weeks prior a couple weeks prior to to being discovered i had woken up in the morning oh yeah <laughs> and i went downstairs and she had a a stack of papers on the kitchen table probably about an inch thick uh and it on the title it said letters to a shitty husband oh so, volume one through 15. yeah volume one through 15. So I come down in the morning before she had, you know, woken up and I start going through this. I actually totally forgot. I was up, I was trying to get them all printed because I wanted to like bring these to him with this presentation and he was asleep the night before and I was up late and like the printer wasn't working. And so I was like, all right. So I got them all printed out, had them all neatly stacked and numbered. And I just forgot. I don't know how I forgot. I left these things (laughs) on the table. And I woke up the next morning and he went down to make coffee. And I was like, oh, crap. Uh-huh. So when I came downstairs, he was mad. There was Sharpies crossing out the, you know, the shitty husband name. And some of them were crumpled up and strewn across the kitchen. Anyway. I was mad, but also in, inside, I was saying to myself, you know what? I am like, yeah, I got to do something. And I had stopped looking at pornography earlier in the year just because I really was just tired of the whole the vicious cycle, you know, of looking at it and then saying, I'm never going to do it again. And it wasn't fulfilling. Like, it, did it satisfy me physically? Sure. But I was just craving more, you know, and like, I need a real relationship, you know, but I said, I can't. I can't because I'm keeping this, you know? Yeah. So what happened is uh, on Black Friday this past year, I had gotten up in the morning, went downstairs, and uh, this past October, I had started a new position as a supervisor. So for many years, for, for 10 years, basically since the affair, I had not had a cell phone. It was a, it was and one the, of the tools used yeah. for communication. And the reason for not having a cell phone is because I know how I am with talking to people. Yeah. And the minute I get a cell phone, 
somebody say, oh, you, you want my number? You know, and texting would happen back and forth because that was the thing in 2012 is texting back and forth. So I, I know and I knew that it was something that like was my weakness. So I just didn't have a cell phone for 10 plus years. It made her very easy. Yeah. It made it very easy for her to contact him that I didn't know about. It was very like covert and calling him back. Right. So this uh, was your way to kind of try to protect yourself in a sense. Yeah. yeah. It was. Yeah. And people would always give me flack over the past 10 years, you know, like, you don't have a cell phone. You know, yeah. like, what do you do when you need to, if you break down? I said, well, somebody usually has one. It's all good. Right. Um, so I kind of like prided myself on not having a cell phone, you know, like, and I, I really, if I could get away with it still to this day, like if I wasn't a supervisor, I would not have one. Cause I just like connecting with people. Um, but I had got one for work and I had already had this kind of work friendship with a female. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we started texting back and forth. And when I got up that morning on black Friday, for some reason or another, my cell phone was in the bed, which is never a thing, which never, never really happened. Never. Yeah. And it was buzzing or dinging or something. And at that point he had this little like Android phone. I'm an Apple person. So I'm like trying to figure out even how to get into this phone and all this stuff. <laughs> Somehow I get in there and the text messages fly up and a few, I want to say like five or six messages down was this uh, conversation going back between him and this, this female at work. And there was nothing sexual. There wasn't really anything inappropriate except for the conversation itself. Uh, but it was just like kind of jokes and inside worky joke things. And I'm like, all right, I've been asking for years for an emotional connection with him. And here he has no problem giving it to her. Mm-hmm. I, I, it just like lit me on fire. So I went nice. downstairs and he said, I think you were sitting at the table, didn't you? And I yeah. flopped the phone down on the table and I said, what the heck is this? And it was all one-sided. He always, I noticed when I looked through it, the conversation, I went back to the very beginning and it was always, he would initiate. Thank, I'm very thankful that this person was very different from the other one that she did not um, reciprocate and she was not pursuant. Yeah, it kind of flipped. I had become pers more pursuant versus yeah. the first time, you know? And sadly to me, like, you know, through all of this, he told me how much he hated himself for the affair. But this, even though it was more one-sided, <laughs> this was uh, replicating the steps that he went into the first one with. So I'm like, did you not recognize that? Like, it started at work. It started friendly. Then it went to the texting. Like, yeah. what would have happened if she was, uh, you know, flirtatious back? Would you have went into a second affair? So it was actually on Black Friday that you confessed the first affair. Yeah. And the re I, like I said, a lot of things kind of were, were working leading up to that because earlier in 2022, for some, something like I could hear the Holy Spirit talking to me. And basically, I had kind of purposed in my heart, like, I'm not like, I really want to tell her, but like, the only way I'm going to do it, if she ever asked me, you know, directly, I'm not, I'm, I'm done running. Like, I'm just going to confess. I, I, I don't want to hide anymore. And that morning, she but, threw, when she threw the phone on the table. 
I had no reason to ask you. Right, right. That too. I never, yeah. I still never suspected anything. Yeah. Uh, looking back, uh, yes, were there red flags? Yes. But I had that trust in my husband. Yeah. And one of the things that had happened that was a red flag, which will explain, well, I guess, like the question I asked, um, he said he, uh, she, the affair person from 2012 asked him to fix something on her car. And he actually told me she wants me to fix whatever it was. And I said, no, I'm not okay with this. Tell her she needs to take it to a garage or ask somebody else from work or one of her friends. So he's like, all right, I won't do it. Well, he did that. He went and he worked on her car unsuccessfully. Ha ha. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) for some reason that day, he told me he was going to his friend's house because he was uh, renovating his home. He said, I'm going over to my buddy's house and I'm helping him on his project. Okay, cool. For some reason I was holding the, the little guy in the living room, looking out our big picture window and I see his car pulling out from across the road, like the little side street and turn to go towards the friend's house. And I'm like, what the heck is this? Well, a few minutes later, he comes rolling back down the street, which I, I always ask him, I said, there were multiple exits from that area, the housing area. Like, why did you come out right across from our house? But I'm glad he did because I saw this. And I said, what were you doing over there? You told me you weren't going to do that. Well, I just told you I wouldn't because I knew you'd be mad. Yeah. So anyway, so still never suspect anything. Fast forward 10 years and through, throughout the years when we'd have a disagreement, every now and then I would bring that, that day up. And I don't know why. It always bothered me, but I never thought. I'm going to break in right here. I know, I know, right? I'm leaving you on the edge of your seat wondering, what happened next? What happened next? But this is going to be a two-parter. And the second half of their interview really focuses in on God's redemption for their marriage and how you can actually come out on the other end of fidelity restored, redeemed, and even have a better marriage than you ever dreamed possible. So I want you to stay tuned. The next episode drops in a couple days and it's going to be such a blessing. It's going to be really encouraging and give you the hope that you need if you are working towards reconciliation in your own marriage. Beautiful. Thank you for listening today. And I can't wait to bring you the second part. Thanks for stopping by today and spending a little while with me. I hope you enjoyed today's show and found hope, healing, and encouragement. Please remember to subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can even screenshot this episode and share it on IG or Facebook stories. This is how we get the message of hope and healing out to all women who are in the midst of betrayal and loss. If you're ready to move out of the devastation of betrayal and take the next step in your healing, make sure to reach out to me and schedule your breakthrough coaching call today. Until next time, love God, live your life passionately, and always choose joy in the midst of any circumstance that you may face. Cheers to you, beautiful.